wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, uh, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, it's really wonderful to be able to have you share with us today. Uh, this week, uh, we've commenced working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. This week's theme is the radical teachings of Jesus Christ. And today we're asking, does Christ oppose wealth? Now there, that is a question uh, that really is uh, worth chatting about. Uh, today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. Now David's the uh, the president uh, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome to you David. Good afternoon Gary. Hello listeners. It is wonderful to have you uh, back with us. Isn't it a wonderful day outside? It is really good. I haven't been outside that much today, though. I've been in meetings all day on Zoom, but uh, it is a wonderful day, and we need to thank God for the coming spring. I feel sorry for you, David. I mean, today and tomorrow, another one. Spring days are coming more and more regularly here to Adelaide at the present time. Uh, I know walking in the morning uh, actually is becoming uh, quite delightful, actually, as you watch the, the sun rise up over the horizon. It's actually quite warm. It's not. Uh, it's no longer down at 6 degrees. We're up to about 12 or 13 now. Um, and it's... Uh, becoming swooping season too, isn't it? It is. I'm going to have to start wearing my hat. Um, I, I look a bit silly, I have to admit it, wearing my Akubra um, at 6am uh, in the morning, but uh, I find it's the only way to actually uh, resolve that uh, that particular issue. Um, but David, tell us something. How are you finding the mask wearing going uh, at the present time, I mean, here in South Oz now, for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been uh, probably the major change in COVID requirements is the requirement to wear masks. Now, how are you finding it personally and how's it impacting ministry? Yeah, I do find. Well, there's some advantages. Let me start with the advantages. Um, you can go somewhere. Oh, this I will. This I am interested in. Yeah, you can go somewhere and you can listen to someone and still yawn and no one think you're yawning. Hey, I've never now, that's of that. an advantage. That is an advantage. Um, unless, of course, you're preaching and people are doing the same thing to your sermon. Um, so that, I think that's one advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I must admit, I sort of, after a while, you sort of, um, particularly now in South Australia, we can sing with masks on. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've done that, but it's not the easiest thing. Yeah, that's, that's very true. In fact, David, I suppose one of the things that for me, I mean, I wear glasses and, uh, what are the real challenges? I, I'm still trying to work out how doctors operate in the operating theater if they have to wear glasses. Uh, because my glasses, when I walk around with this mask on, they're totally fogging up the whole, the whole time. Yeah, look, maybe you need to ask them to wake you up partway through and <laughs> you can ask that question. The negatives, Gary, of uh, mask wearing, I think, and the impact, sorry, not the negatives, the impact uh, with mask wearing in our church setting, and I'm sure it may vary wherever you are, but the churches I've been in since we have had to wear them, there, there probably has been a little bit of a dip in attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just another thing people have to comply with, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I think it has impacted things. I think um, it's harder to read facial expression, isn't it? 
You don't actually realise how much. Uh, in fact, somebody said to me that one of the downsides of Zoom is that they're finding it difficult. Apparently, there is a split-second difference uh, with the uh, ability of an individual to actually be able uh, to read facial expressions uh, live as compared to being on Zoom. And it's only a matter of a split second, but it's enough uh, to actually break down that ability to have a close and quality communication. In saying that, though, I think that um, even though it's it's unusual, it's not what we would call abnormal, sorry, normal, um, to be wearing masks in a church setting and all of those things, um, you know, we should be thankful here um, in South Australia that we can worship. Um, I think of um, our friends, our colleagues and people in the other states that are in lockdowns and mm. all sorts of things and, and the the emotional, the mental, the lack of being able to congregate yeah. together and have community face-to-face, that must yeah. be really tough. Yeah, no, I, I really empathise with what you're actually saying there. I know I've got a uh, my brother's actually over in in Melbourne and I don't think they've been to a church now for, uh, for quite some weeks. Uh, well, months actually. I mean, they're constantly uh, into and out of uh, lockdown uh, over there, whereas, whereas here it's really been light, uh, lockdown light in, in many ways ways in this uh, in this particular state uh, I, I know our, our thoughts and prayers really go out uh, to our mates on the uh, in New South Wales and uh, Victoria up in Queensland uh, got some you know, wonderful people up there and uh, they are doing it they're doing it real tough absolutely and 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 then of course we we go further afield to other parts of the world don't we where um, the pandemic case numbers are on the increase in in many yeah. places it's yeah. Challenging times, but we serve a God who is the God of the challenges and gives us new opportunities. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's very powerful. Thanks for that, David. Now, look, uh, let's come to our our World Watch segment. Now, I, uh, I I've got another uh, just interesting little, um, I suppose, sideline here that uh, really, when I read it, I thought that is good news. You know, so often we hear of all the bad news that's going on uh, in our world. Well, this was a uh, an article that picked up some good news. It actually came from the American Institute of Family Studies and uh, uh, it's only, uh, it's about a month old now and it was entitled Growing Up With Mum and Dad New Data Confirms The Tide Is Turning. Now as soon as I read that I sort of thought well what is the tide that is actually turning? Now uh, this is what the article said All the experts agreed the nuclear family was on the way out The two parent family of married mother and father are bringing up their own biological children would soon be replaced by a menagerie of alternate family forms, cohabiting couples with children, single parent families, blended families, same-sex couples raising children conceived and born in a variety of unconventional ways and, and so on. And for more than half a century, each year's tabulation from the Census Bureau on children's living arrangements seems to have been proving the experts right. Uh, the conclusion of uh, this particular uh, document was that uh, there was actually a turning point. There was a low point around about the year 2010 of children uh, living with their uh, mother, their natural mother and father. Uh, it had actually dropped uh, from, in 1960, uh, about 87.7% of all children were living with um, mum and, and dad uh, in uh, 2000. And 10, it had dropped down to about 67% of children living with mum and dad. But since then, it's plateaued 
and is now on the increase. Uh, as of now, 70%, 70.5% of, of children are actually living with mum and dad. Uh, the document goes on to, to say this. A funny thing happened on the way to uh, that supposed extinction. Although certainly not out of intensive care, the supposed corpse of the two-parent family seems to be breathing new life. The proportion of children living with two parents has gradually recovered uh, to 70% in 2020, and the fraction living with one-parent families has slipped from 28% to 25 So one-parent families have actually backed off, and a two-parent family has actually increased uh, the natural family. And uh, uh, it, the article continued. How many American children not only live with both parents at a given point in time, but were raised by both parents throughout their childhood? One way of estimating this proportion is to examine the living arrangements of high school seniors. The fact that seniors were still living with both parents, both birth parents, at the culmination of their schooling means that the vast majority grew up with them since birth. Uh, some may have been born to unmarried parents who subsequently got married uh, during the student's childhood. Some may have experienced parental uh, conflicts or temporary separations, but not the kind of conflict that resulted in permanent splits. Their parents were able to work things out and the marriages endured. In 2019, just over 53% of U.S. high school seniors were living with both their biological parents. Uh, this uh, represented a considerable decline from the situation in 1996, when 61% of seniors were living with and had been raised by both birth parents. But it represents a modest recovery when compared with the parallel findings from 2012, when under 50% lived with both birth parents. Once again, the newest data points to a turning tide. In other words, more students in year 11 and 12 within the American context are actually living with natural mum and dad and than they have in, uh, in previous, uh, previous surveys. Now, David... Just help us out on this particular one. You know, how would you respond to this to this type of data? Uh, do you think it it might be applicable in the Australian context? I hope so, Gary. I, you know, this is a modest increase, as you've said, but uh, hopefully that is the case that it is on the rise here in Australia. I guess uh, we all undertook the census. Uh, Tuesday week ago. We did. And uh, maybe it'll take months for the data to come out, sometimes even longer for some of the uh, correlations and questions. But uh, hopefully that is the case. Okay. Okay. Look, just tell us something. From from your ministry experience, do uh, children coming from a, from a stable two-parent two uh, background, do you think they have advantages over uh, children who are, I suppose, being brought up by a single mum and a single dad. Now, let me just ask you why I asked this uh, this question. I know that uh, myself, I, uh, I I probably come from one of, uh, well, sometimes I've actually joked with my brother from Australia's most dysfunctional um, family of, of origin. And uh, I certainly recognise the challenges uh, of 
one parent and also of two parent uh, families. Um, but this, this to me is really significant because I, I suppose, I, I suspect that the child who is actually being brought up by the single parent, and I do acknowledge we have got some fantastic single parents out there, um, but the, the child that is brought up by mum and dad, the natural parents, do they have a, an advantage over the child that is brought up by maybe the, the single parent? I think it's hard to give an absolute answer, but I think in the right setting, yes. Why? Because, um, you know, right there in the Garden of Eden, you have the the picture there, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Mm. So you have this concept of family involving a male and a female. Mm. Now, I know myself in my own family with parenting, if I was the sole parent, um, uh, my kids wouldn't have the balance our children wouldn't have the balance they do by having their mother and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. So so God has um, created men and women. Um, we, we think different. We operate different. We come from our own individual families. We come mm-hmm. together and you try and, you know, you want to leave behind some of the things that you experienced or that was uh, modeled in your family and there are other things you want to take and together as a husband and wife you want to bring the best. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't always happen. So, but... Clearly, I think um, children benefit from both male and female uh, figureheads and and and, and um, carers, um, parents. Mm. Um, now, clearly, in a family of a single parent relationship, sometimes uh, sometimes those could be more uh, functional and less dysfunctional. In the aspect of you could have. Uh, two-parent family, uh, father and mother, where they're both fighting like cats and dogs and the impact that has on the child. Sometimes a single parent will um, try and invest even more Mm -hmm. in their child Mm -hmm. or will surround their child with a person of the other gender perhaps Mm -hmm. as as a bit of a mentor. But I think it's a harder... It can be a harder process to to work through. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, David, the thing I'm really conscious of is that uh, more and more I'm becoming conscious that uh, a person who is a a single parent uh, may do a marvellous job, but they do have a hard road uh, to actually uh, to actually move, because uh, I'm conscious even of the uh, the financial challenges of so many of the uh, of our single parents. You know, we live largely in a society today that is uh, based on the two income uh, family, and of course, if a person's only got one income, uh, that uh, puts them puts those individuals. On the back foot straight away, and uh, I, I just the number of people I've ministered to that have certainly uh, come and uh, often through no fault of their own uh, into this uh, this scenario. It's 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 screamed at me that hey, you know, um, wherever possible, I know that in my own ministry, I'm actually been trying to encourage families rather than separating, uh, but rather to work. through through issues and uh, wherever possible really put the effort into trying to stay together rebuilding working through if in fact that is possible now I know sometimes it's not possible but you know the number of people that I'm conscious of David that have uh, sometimes let go of relationships too easily 
really, really does jump out at me. And that does impact the children as well as both spouses. Yeah. So, so clearly the ideal is, I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments, honour your father and your mother. Yeah. So clearly this is what God intended, but we live in a sin-sick world which does even affect Christianity and all churches. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I guess where there are those uh, single-parent families, etc., it is even more important for godly Christian people to support those families, uh, to provide some assistance, and also to be there as, a, as role models as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is where I think the church uh, can actually stand stand in place because when you actually see this family dysfunction, the church actually is able to minister often to, to children uh, in a way that... Uh, can actually replace somewhat uh, what mum or dad uh, actually offer to children. So it's about being intentional, isn't it? It is. As as, as church communities, but also, as you've said, Gary, for for husbands and wives to not just throw things in. Now, there are obviously times where there is no other option, but... This is the ideal. This is yeah. what God wants us to work towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I my plea is certainly from, uh, from my own experience, from my background is please, uh, you know, if in fact people are struggling with their relationship, please put, try to put effort into maintaining that relationship. It's so easy to be able to say the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, only to discover when you get to the other side of the fence, the grass is actually no greener. Not as greener as you thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, guys, let's come to some uh, some music. This is Christian Bedal. Uh, this is the uh, the song "Find Us Faithful." We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who gone before us line the way cheering on the faithful encouraging the weary their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly Have come and gone 
And our children sift through all we've left behind May the clues that they discover And the memories they uncover Become the light that leads them To the road we each must Christian Badal, uh, find us faithful. What words that uh, that actually is? May all those who come behind us find us faithful. Uh, reflect so much on that uh, chapter of Hebrews, chapter eleven. Uh, that's the message of that entire chapter, and that's certainly the message of that song by uh, by Christian Badal. Uh, now, look, guys, we've got a uh, uh, a giveaway today. Uh, our giveaway this week actually is entitled uh, "Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing." Now, this is a real beaut book. This is a devotional uh, book. This is the sort of book that uh, you can uh, read early in the morning and really get something out of and be richly blessed. Uh, now, of course, uh, this week we've been talking about uh, the uh, Christ's radical work, words uh, from the ser- from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Mount of Blessing is uh, uh, thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. This uh, this particular book uh, is relating uh, current life practice to what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, David, tell us, have you ever read this particular book? Yes, I think, as you said, Gary, a really practical book, relevant for our day, dealing with and, and unpacking the greatest sermon that was ever told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah. Jesus. No, it's a great book. Now, look, guys, if you would like to have a uh, have a copy of this particular devotional book, uh, all you need to do is to text us. Now, this is only a text number. It's not a phone number. Uh, the text number is 0488 880 Eight eleven, and uh, if you could uh, um, just simply quote SA thirteen. That's all you've got to do in your text. Uh, just uh, 0488 
880811 and just write SA13. And we've got a wonderful friend. He's called our robot. Uh, we call him Bot. Uh, he's a good mate of uh, of ours. And uh, the very moment that you uh, send us uh, uh, that code SA13, uh, he'll know exactly what you're talking about and he will be in contact with you to uh, ask uh, your details so we can send you uh, that particular book. Uh, so that's uh, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. If you'd like that devotional book, uh, please just text us on 0488 880 Also, if you've got any uh, any thoughts or questions you'd like to ask, you can also do that uh, also on that uh, that particular uh, text uh, text number. Uh, now you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the, the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in uh, South Oz uh, this week. Uh, we've actually commenced working our way through um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, this week and last week's theme uh, was the radical teachings of Jesus. Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 5. This week we're primarily uh, looking at uh, Matthew chapter uh, chapter 6. And uh, of course one of the really radical statements Christ makes in the Sermon on the Mount concerns wealth and it leads us to actually ask this, uh, this question does Christ oppose wealth? Now uh, this, uh, uh, this is something that, that David, I, I don't know how um, uh, ha, how you find these words of, of Christ, but you know we find on one hand uh, we find some people um, teach that uh, Christ discouraged wealth. You know, some take vows of poverty, chastity, uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. You know, because Christ. They understand encouraged a poverty. Um, then, on the other hand, there are other teachers who suggest that Christ encouraged wealth. In fact, would reward believers with wealth. It's actually called the prosperity gospel. Now, to me, there's almost two extremes here. And yet, when we read what Christ was actually saying, I'm not sure that either extreme is fits what Jesus was actually saying. And isn't this amazing how practical and relevant that Jesus Jesus is and was when he spoke in this sermon? Because you're right, Gary, uh, there are those extremes that talk about the that all you have to do is name it and claim it. Yeah. And I've even watched some uh, videos lately of a certain uh, particular American uh, well-known preachers that uh, will get up there and they'll say, all you have to do is 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 in your heart, in your mind, is to think on it, focus on it, and then claim it, and it'll be. That and, and when you think about that, you sort of think, hey, you know, what about? How do you explain the the poor people in this world? Is that because they are also poor in? Faith? Well, this is what it can lead to. People think, well, I don't have enough faith. If I did, I would be rich and wealthy. But you think about it with that whole prosperity gospel type concept that if you name it and claim it, how many people, I mean, I'd be naming and claiming a boat and a holiday house and no mortgage and you name it. How many people with the name it and claim it would be saying, Lord, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Yeah. Give me the fruit of the spirit, Lord. I want to name that yeah. and claim that. Yeah, that's so, so powerful. That's so important. Uh, David, look, let me just read that. Uh, the the passage 
that we're referring today because I'm, I'm conscious that this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, if you like, Christ's principles for his followers. Now, when he's talking about treasure, this is what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust does it destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then just a couple of verses later, he continues on the same vein. He says this, um, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, David, help us out. What is Christ getting at here? He's not just getting simply to the point of, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, don't have wealth. He's not saying that, I don't believe. I think what he's really saying is, is your heart will follow the focus that money takes you on. Mm-hmm. In other words, the more money you have, um, the more you are concerned about what it's doing for you. Will I lose it? How are the stock market's mm. uh, traveling? Is there going to be a crash? Mm. Um, uh, all of those sorts of things. It can be fully absorbing. Mm. And yet all of these things, we know that everything will be taken into account, the Bible says, a, a day of reckoning. And there is a day coming where what is stored in our banks and, and uh, on the stock exchange or whatever, earthly investments are, they'll come to naught. They'll come to nothing. Mm. And so Jesus isn't, I don't think, saying it's wrong to be wealthy. I think he's saying when you become so wealthy that your focus turns and is absorbed by your wealth and the things that uh, come along with it. But, David, look, aren't we being, I I suppose, I mean, some might suggest that what you're saying here is almost an excuse for the uh, world in which we are actually living in, because I'm so conscious that here in you know in Oz, uh, we are in the top two or three percent of the world as far as wealth is concerned. Okay, we may not be Billy Gates, uh, but when you look at our wealth and compare us to uh, certainly 95, 96% of the world's population, uh, Australia, anyone who lives in Australia... Incredibly wealthy. Is incredibly wealthy. So... Is this, I mean, aren't we just making a, maybe excuses um, when we just simply say, hey, you know, we, we have to prepare for retirement, you know, we have to, uh, you know, what, dig into this a little bit more for us. Yeah, thank you, Gary. So, look, there is, um, and this is where it gets difficult. There are the pros and the cons given in Scripture. Certainly in Scripture we are told, um, there are, um, we're told to, um, be, in, for instance, in Proverbs, it says there, uh, through wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. It's talking about record keeping and budgeting. Proverbs 27, 23 to 24. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure as to generations. So there are also texts in scripture about um, you know, people that don't work. So and what you're talking about here are some biblical principles of concerning wealth because this, what we've just read here, isn't all that Scripture actually says on this particular subject. So can you give us some of those 
just very briefly some of the principles that Scripture does actually present to us on the subject of wealth. So, look, it's certainly back-saving. Proverbs 21.20, Proverbs 21.20, there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 6.8, provides, it's talking of a lady, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So God expects us to be responsible with what he's given us. And in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of the talents. Mm-hmm. Uh, one to one uh, person, there were uh, five talents given to another two and to another one. Now we know in chapter twenty-five of Matthew, the individual that had one talent went ahead and buried it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't do anything with it. The other two invested it, and so when the master came, they were able to show how they would, had used what God had given them and how it had increased, and then he gave them more. Mm. Now. So we need to be wise stewards of what we've given. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? Wise steward. Now, just to clarify this word steward. I just uh, That's okay. one I'm not familiar yeah, with. Yeah, look, um, thank you, Gary, for pulling me up on that. So it's a word that we don't really use that much today, but I would say manager. Mm-hmm. In other words, a manager doesn't own things. They manage what belongs to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down to the fact that we need to recognize and acknowledge that God is the owner of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Later on, he says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. That's in Haggai. Mm-hmm. So we need to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. And this should put the brakes on those seeking to become the most wealthiest pe- people and having uh, being driven to gain wealth. Why? Because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Uh, We need to recognize that um, God is the source of everything. So whether we are rich monetarily or poor or in between, we can say along with Paul, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So we need to realize that God supplies everything. I think there is another principle here that the Bible describes God as an abundant giver. Let me share this with you. In uh, James 1, 16 and 17, this is Jesus' brother. He says here, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Mm -hmm. So what's this telling us? I think what it's saying is that um, God is the giver of every good gift. It's saying God is a giver. Mm -hmm. Now, we know elsewhere the most famous verse in Scripture, Gary, would be, for God so loved the world that he gave that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let's park for a moment on the shelf. This is talking about salvation, mm-hmm. okay? And it is, clearly. But it's telling us in this um, picture of salvation that God is a giver. He's an abundant good, he's an abundant giver. Uh, we see that again in Romans 8.32 where it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, this is all things pertaining to eternal life. Okay, so we've actually got a God who is a gracious God who gives us all things, who is willing to supply our need. But, David, look, I'm really conscious that, you know, at a very practical level, we are living in an incredibly consumeristic 
a society. We are living in a society where, uh, you know, we, we go through the, uh, on, onto the internet, we order what we want, when we want, how we want it. We can go to the, uh, up to TTP up there, up to the plaza, and the goods are just simply laid on. We're living in an incredibly consumeristic lifestyle. I mean, doesn't Christ have something to say about that? I believe he does. Because um, we know that God is the one that gives us the ability to to earn wealth, mm. if, if that's what he chooses. Mm. But um, we've already read in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we know, particularly with technology, is that every three or six months, it's, uh, it's basically out of date, right? Mm. Sometimes even quicker. Mm. So if we become so consumeristic that we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, where does our focus tend to be? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's on earthly things, and I believe that's why uh, in Matthew chapter six, the same chapter that we've been looking at, verse thirty three, it says, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you." That's that's a really beautiful thought. You know, David, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that I've I've actually had the privilege to be able to uh, to minister to quite a number of churches at, at this point in my in my ministry. And the thing that really jumps out at me is the number of people in those churches who really do practice. A lot of people don't realize that there are so many uh, good church members, and I'm conscious not just in my own denomination, but in many denominations that actually practice what um, uh, Christ is preaching here. I can think of uh, one particular fellow that uh, in a church that I, I did pastor, and I've pastored many churches, uh, he was... He well, he was. He is a very wealthy man. Uh, he's actually uh, he's actually run his own business. Uh, he's got the rewards of business. He is incredibly wealthy. The thing is, you'd never know it. He lives in a in a common house in the middle of the suburbs. The house itself is nothing. Nothing special at all. His car. He drives a a, a car that is. I drive an eight-year-old Holden Commodore. Um, he drove a, uh, a 10 or 12-year-old mm. Holden Commodore. He had a couple hundred thousand kilometres on his car. Uh, and yet I'm conscious of the number of people that he had actually physically helped. Uh, the, and nobody knew about it. Nobody realised uh, that the, uh, that the, um, the gift they were being given where it actually came from. You know, I've actually had uh, people, I will remember, at another church, a person came up to me and they said uh, about a young person, they said, look, uh, that young person is really trying their hardest. Uh, they're really, you know, in fact, they came from a, from a refugee background. And uh, this uh, uh, this man came to me and he said, uh, uh, Pastor, here is, and he handed me in cash, $5,000. Uh, and he said, I want you to go and buy him a car. He said, but you are not to tell him where the money came from. Uh, and so I had the re- very real privilege to be able to simply uh, go to the young man and say, hey, tomorrow we're going to go and buy a car. And uh, he said, I don't have money. Uh, and he said, and I, I said, I oh, know you don't. We're going to buy a car. And we went and bought a car and I um, I actually uh, paid the uh, the fellow in cash, it was an amazing experience to be able to pay, you know, this um, this used car dealer because we went to the dealer and uh, to buy in cash, and uh, uh, I 
I took the receipt uh, and there was some cash left over. I took the receipt and the cash back to the fellow who had actually given it to me just so that he knew where the, where the funds had actually gone. Yep, and uh, so I actually gave the, gave those funds uh, back to him and he was as happy as Larry. But uh, the young man never knew where that car actually came from. You know, David, to me, as I look at that, I simply turn around and say, hey, there are people in this world who do actually practice what Christ is actually saying here. Absolutely. So God is the one that gives ability for wealth. And and look, we just need to look at the New Testament story. Yeah. We have uh, Joseph Arimathea. We have Nicodemus mm. that had huge amounts of wealth. And, uh, you know, Joseph Arimathea, what did he do? He had a rich man's tomb, uh, which he chose to bury Jesus in. And uh, uh, Nicodemus, he used money to buy the uh, spices uh, to anoint the body of Jesus and to prepare him for burial. Uh, Solomon, God gave the ability, God gave him riches, not because yeah. he asked for it, though. Yeah. So we need to, uh, and we also know that wealth can turn people, and that obviously happened with Solomon as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate what you're actually saying because those biblical examples are actually so powerful. Uh, they do actually, to me, they scream at us today because here is a message that I think is so relevant uh, to the day and age in which we're living. It is so easy to actually flaunt wealth. And yet, to me, what Christ is actually saying here in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount is, hey, I don't want you, the assumption isn't that you will be poor, but rather where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, you know, to me, these people who've just freely just given of the things that they have, uh, uh, that they have really wanted to, uh, uh, to, um, to develop, uh, to me, I just take my hat off to them. I think it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful picture that they do actually paint. But look, folks, let's come to some uh, uh, some music. Uh, our time is starting to get away from it. This is uh, uh, Michael W. Smith, uh, and the song is Ancient Words.
that was Michael W. Smith, and the uh, the song is Ancient Words. I love what Michael actually shares there. The scriptures are so powerful; they've got so much in them, so so much wisdom uh, for the uh, for the world in which we're living uh, today. Um, of course, our devotional book, uh, our free gift for you today, is uh, is this book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. This is a real beauty. Uh, look, if you'd like this uh, this devotional book, it's just a, a short book. It won't take you long to read it. It's wonderful to be able to read a few pages of it every morning, just for your personal devotional time. Uh, just uh, uh, text us here at oh four double eight double eight o eight eleven, and just uh, text us the code SA thirteen, and our mate, the robot. Uh, we'll contact you and he'll ask you uh, deep and meaningful questions so that we're actually able uh, to send this uh, this book to you. Uh, you'll really appreciate that. He's a good mate of ours and uh, uh, I think you'll uh, you'll get to like him as well. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. Uh, today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the uh, uh, president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week, we've commenced working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and this week's theme is the radical teachings of Jesus. And today, we're simply asking, does Christ oppose wealth? Now, David, bring it all together for us. So, Gary, uh, wealth can be dangerous. We clearly know that with the story of the rich young ruler, this young rich man that comes to Jesus. He has tried to be good. He's tried to do everything uh, Jesus talks to him about keeping the commandments. He says, I've done all of this since my youth. And then Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Go sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that this young man went away sorrowful, mm. sad, because he couldn't mm. give up his riches. So riches can be a definite trap. And in fact... um in that same story, the disciples sort of say, well, how hard is it? Or Jesus says how hard it is for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. A- and he says, um, with riches. Mm. Why? Because we tend to have an earthly focus. We don't realize our need. And I think in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uh, gives us the model prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. And the first few sentences, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. In other words, Jesus is saying our focus should be on God and his kingdom. Then the next part of the prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. Mm. In other words, Lord, please provide for our needs. But the first focus is always on God. And I think in our consumeristic culture, what happens to us is we get that mixed around the other way. Our first focus is on our needs or perceived needs and more, in fact, our wants rather than on God. And are we investing in earth or in heaven? Seek first the kingdom of God and his things and then all of this will be added to you. In other words, this life will be 80, 90, 100 years at best, Mm. but God is offering eternal life. Yeah. What are we investing in? It's a beautiful, beautiful thought, isn't it? When, when you do actually realize that. And, you know, it's when I, I see uh, the way that so many are Christian organizations and Christian people, particularly as individuals, the way they do actually work this out in their life. And so many wouldn't actually realize it. Uh, I just, I just stand in awe. I just want to take my hat off. And look, I know that there are some who are listening to us who have done exactly what I've described. And to me, I think that the, that God is actually promising those people that he is the one who will actually reward them. Uh, I love this. Absolutely. So if you're wealthy 
and God has blessed you with wealth, he expects more from you. Yeah. He expects that, um, as in the parable of the talents, yeah. he expects that you will reinvest that back into kingdom, kingdom treasure. Yeah. Not just yeah. earthly treasure. Yeah. And if, if other people uh, are more in need, uh, and, and aren't wealthy, uh, the average person, if you like, um, God still expects them to invest in the kingdom of God. Yeah. I mean, Christ talked about you will always have the poor with you. You know, it is acknowledging a reality. And, you know, as I, as I look at that, it sort of is an amazing message to us, to us here in Australia, because this is a wealthy, wealthy country. And uh, I look at it, even the poorest person in this country is actually far wealthier uh, than the uh, than 95% That's of true. our world's That's population. That's true, Gary. But even when he says you will still have the poor with you, you'll always have the poor with you, that beggars the question, what about wealthy churches? Now that is a really significant question, David. And look, let me—you're the—you're the lead pastor here in South Oz, so let because we were going to finish on that particular one, and we will come to it right now because we do need to wipe it up uh, to, to to wind up. But David, look, there are so many uh, people who have certainly talked to me, and they've said, "Hey, look, you know, um, the church talks so much about money, and yet churches themselves." are actually so incredibly wealthy. Even pastors, you know, I think of some of the television evangelists, um, are incredibly wealthy. How do you explain it? And just on that, Gary, uh, people in modern society look at the church, they see abuse in Christian churches, and so that they don't want to have anything to do yeah, with it, or that's their excuse yeah, yeah. or the reality. Others say, look at the, the tally evangelists, look at the private jets, look at the always calling out for money. Yeah. So... Wealthy churches and institutions have a lot to answer for. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I guess uh, churches have property where they've got buildings and churches. So by nature of, of assets, they're wealthy. But when that wealth is flaunted, when the church becomes a financial institution or a bank, mm-hmm. uh, and they're investing in earth rather than in heaven and heavenly things, then the church has also potentially become corrupt. And in Matthew 25, we have uh, Jesus telling the parable. He says, um, when I was, uh, uh, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was, uh, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I had no food, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me water. So churches are meant to invest in community. Why? Because the church was established to win the lost. And if we're in making our treasure on earth as a religious institution, rather than investing that treasure back into the community so that God's kingdom will grow, uh, that's what we should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I appreciate what you're actually saying here, David. I'm conscious of the uh, – there's almost a, a very fine line uh, of, of walking here because and just as it's possible for an individual to become consumeristic, so it's also possible for a church to become incredibly consumeristic. In fact, one of the passages that I'm really conscious of is uh, uh, a passage that actually occurs in the book of Revelation. And I'm interested in your feedback on this one because uh, what we have in uh, in John 
John, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter three, written by by John. It's the last. Uh, it's the last message of the uh, of John to to seven churches that existed in his day. And uh, uh, this is the angel to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Um, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He's referring about to Jesus Christ. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that it was that you were cold or hot. And of course, he's talking to a church here. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, he's talking about a Christian church that actually existed back in John's day. But the application can certainly come through to our day. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. David, look, what do you make of this? I mean, here's Christ is speaking through his angel to a literal church and he accuses them of being rich and in need of nothing. Because And then they had forgotten, hadn't they, who Christ was. He's knocking at the door and... Uh, in asking to be invited in. What I find here, Gary, is institutions can be so wealthy, religious institutions, What do they really have need of relying on the Holy Spirit? Do they really have need uh, for God? Everything's provided for them. That's what they're saying here in Laodicea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, this to me, I think, David, is a huge challenge to, to churches today because, you know, to me, I think... In many ways, we have to take this one on the nose because uh, many, many churches have made this mistake. I mean, certainly according to this passage of Scripture, churches, uh, Christ accuses churches of actually being, you say you are uh, you are rich and you are in need of nothing uh, instead of acknowledging your incredible need. What Christ is doing is forcing this church back to their heart condition and the heart condition is actually being worked out in physical actions, uh, I, I think this message is an incredible message uh, to us here today. It's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you now. Lord, I want to say thank you for the way that you care for your people. Thank you for the blessings that you've promised to them. But Lord, I just pray uh, that in this consumeristic world in which we live, that indeed our priorities will be your kingdom first. Lord, I also pray for anyone who might be struggling with their uh, with finance at this time. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with them. I pray that you might uh, might give them, them wisdom and understanding that your blessing might rest upon them. We just ask, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, it does look like our, our time is actually up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and, and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano will look at the question, life without worry, is it is it possible? Really look forward uh, to being with you then. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. <laughs> 